Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we'll be reading the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I might too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light into our path. So I pray by it this morning that you would teach us, that you would convict us, that you would strengthen us, and you would guide us. Would your son be our teacher this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of our favorite family stories that comes up in my family around Christmas time is the fact that I had a really severe fear of Santa Claus growing up. Uh, I was always really nervous about meeting Santa, and it would boil into some really extreme stress when it came time for Santa to come into the house on Christmas Eve. And to show you how extreme this fear was, I actually brought a picture. This is me. I refused to sit in Santa's lap when I would go visit Santa. So yes, I had a true fear of Santa Claus. And it all kind of came to a high. I'm probably about four years old. Uh, It's Christmas morning. And I refused to come out of my room to open presents because four-year-old Tyler had convinced himself that Santa is probably in the other room still. And if I walked out of my room, I would run into him. So I want you to imagine this scene for a second. My whole family is over. They're ready to open presents. And I refuse to come out of my room. And so my mom comes up with this brilliant idea. And she knows that I'm afraid of Santa Claus. And you can go ahead and take the picture away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it can only, I, yeah. But my mom comes up with this brilliant idea because she knows that I'm afraid of Santa Claus, but she knows that that is no match for my love of Blue's Clues. So one of my gifts this year or that year was a dancing, singing Blue's Clues doll. And so my uncle takes it upon himself and he, he walks back to the back of the room where my room is and he starts to play it outside my door. And so it's singing and obviously my curiosity is now peaked. So I open the door, I see the doll, and like, you know, my eyes start getting a little big. And so what he does is he proceeds to dance down the hallway 
with the Blue's Clues doll luring me out of my room so that I walk out to the mound of presents and I can enjoy Christmas morning with the rest of my family. So the moral of that story is that I had to follow a Blue's Clues doll in order to experience the wonder that Christmas had to offer me. And I tell that story tongue-in-cheek, but in reality, I don't think I'm actually too far off from a really good analogy about how we live in this Advent season. See, I think we hear of the wonder of Christmas every year. We hear about the angels thundering in the skies, declaring a Savior has been born. We hear about the poor and lowly shepherds who are the most unworthy, and yet they're the first ones to worship at the throne of a king. See, it's so wonderful. It's so grand. This story has captured imaginations for centuries, and it brings so much joy. And yet, if we're honest, there can sometimes be a little fear. There can sometimes be a little fear that keeps us from truly embracing all that Christmas has to offer us. Perhaps it's our doubt. Did this story really happen the way we read about it in Scripture? Perhaps it's our circumstances. The joy of Christmas can't possibly be the same thing that I'm experiencing right now in my family and in my job. Those two things just don't seem to go together right now. Perhaps it's the skepticism of being swept up in the story, knowing that, you know, this is all so wonderful and so grand, but when life hits me on the 26th, I'm not sure that this hope can actually hold up. It'll just disappear like every other year. See, for many of us, we stay proverbially in our room, holding the wonders of God at arm's length, rather than entering into the fullness of joy that's offered to us here in the celebration of Christ. And I think this is where the star of Bethlehem can actually be our teacher this morning. See, in the Christmas story, this star that appears, it's this magical moment, it's this celestial miracle that brings, brings wise men from the corners of the world to worship a king. It's grand. It's mysterious. But I think we often move past it really quickly in our day and age. See, it's so unique. It's so out of the ordinary that I don't think we spend the proper time learning from this miracle. And yet the star has so much to teach us because the star, as it guided the wise men to the manger, the star ultimately points us to the wonder that God guides us. It points us to the wonder that God guides us. God doesn't leave us to flounder on our own, but he welcomes us. He invites us, and he challenges us to come and see the joy found in the manger, to behold and to adore the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so this morning, I want us to look at the star, and I want us to stand in awe of this star. And then not only see that the ways that the star guided the wise men and how that might be instructive for the way that the star seeks to guide us, the way that God seeks to guide us. So let's turn to the text and see where the star might lead us this morning. And the first place that we see that the star guides us is it guides us to the word. The star guides us to the word. And so the passage that we read, it picks up with a scene of probably a year or so after Jesus is born. And it's under the reign of King Herod, who was over the um, province of Israel at this point. And a star is shining in the sky. And without explanation, there come magi. And these magi were essentially pagan astrologers. They weren't kings like we sing in We Three Kings, uh, but they were pagan astrologers. And they come from the eastern nations. 
And they show up in King Herod's throne room, and they are asking, where is the king of the Jews? And they say that they have followed a star. And that star, they say, is his star, meaning the Messiah's star. And upon seeing it, now they have come to worship him. And as you can imagine, this causes a little bit of a stir in the throne room of King Herod. And so he calls all the religious leaders together to gain insight. Why on earth are there pagan astrologers sitting in my throne room right now asking where a king of the Jews is to be found? And what we see is that the teachers of the law begin to quote scripture. The priests and rabbis begin by quoting Micah 5.2. The star is over Bethlehem because the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. However, if you're astute, you notice that the scripture that they quote doesn't actually mention a star. But that doesn't mean that the star is not also biblical prophecy. If you turn to Numbers 24, 17, uh, you'll see a story where there's a prophecy given by a pagan prophet over Israel. And he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So what's happening here in the throne room of King Herod is the realization that something might be happening, something might be coming to fulfillment that had already been foretold. See, the Magi are following a prophesied star from Numbers 24 to a prophesied location, Micah 5, in search of a prophesied Messiah. And I want you to catch, amidst all of this mystery, all the questions that King Herod and the Magi have and all the teachers of the law have, notice it's scripture that brings clarity and understanding to what's happening. And as we reflect on the star, what I want us to see first and foremost is that the star is actually pushing us to the word. It's pushing us to scripture as a way to bring light upon the things that are happening. You see, the scriptures in this instance, they bring understanding. And I think that that's extremely important as we think about how God guides us. You see, it's the scriptures that through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, they are the chief way, not necessarily the only way, but the chief way that God guides us. See, God has revealed the mysteries of our faith. He's revealed the mysteries of our faith in written words. But I think oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't value it as much as we should. The trends show that with every passing generation that comes along, the scriptures are seen as less and less important in the life of a Christian. And there's an alarming statistic that says only about 30%, 30% of people who attend a Protestant church, so the, the churches that really value the word, that sought hard to maintain the word, to make it the center point of worship again, only about 30% of people who attend a Protestant church will say that they read from their Bible at least once in a given week. And you might say, you know what, that's pretty good. That's about a third. That's, that's not doing bad. But then compare it with this. We're also in an age where if you go read, you know, the New York Times or the Washington Post, the op-eds, or if you're like me and you go read the Twitterverse, what you'll see is that there are very deep divisions among Christians right now, very deep divisions about current day issues and what the biblical answers to those questions are. And so I want you to catch the irony there for a second. There are more and more people who are writing and who are wanting to say, this is what the biblical answer to our questions are, while simultaneously the trend is that less and less people 
actually know what Scripture says. And what happens is when we fail to relish and listen to God's Word, to want to study it, to want to memorize it, to want to internalize it, what happens is that we end up missing things. We end up missing things. We end up missing the star, so to speak. I want you to go back to the passage. It says that the teachers of Israel are disturbed by the Magi story. They're disturbed by the Magi story, even though there was a prophecy in Numbers 24 that said the star would rise. See, the teachers of the law, they miss the scriptural foundations. And so when the star actually appears, proclaiming that the Messiah has been born, the one they've been waiting for, what happens? They completely miss it. They whiff. So here's the deal. You're not a bad Christian if you don't read your Bible every day. And if you don't know who David or Abraham is, you're not a bad Christian. Sometimes we feel like we're guilted into it. You're not. But when we choose to be passive about Scripture, when we choose to be okay not pursuing the Word and what God has to say in it, when we say, you know what, there's just a lot of it that's just not really relevant for me, and instead my spiritual guidance is going to come from human wisdom, it's going to come from good one-liner quips, practical advice, what happens is that we end up missing it. We end up missing the way that God is moving in this world, and we end up missing the calling that God has put on our lives in this world. You see, friends, Scripture is the way that God wants to guide us, heart, mind, and soul. So we don't want to miss it. When we read this story, the star makes perfect sense in light of Scripture, in light of what God has revealed to us in his word. You see, scripture gave us clarity about this miracle. And so how much more as we wrestle with cultural questions, as we wrestle with our own sin, our own perspectives, as we wrestle with suffering and our own fears, will scripture provide clarity and wisdom? See, if we need leading, if we need guidance, scripture is present. It's alive as Hebrews says, it will not return void because it is the revelation of God to us. Now, Scripture is not the final expert on everything, but it is the final expert on everything that which it speaks. See, it won't tell you what defense to run on third down in mid, but it is authoritative over all things according to our faith, and it is sufficient for everything needed to live a godly life. And so the encouragement this morning is to be in the Word. And don't let this time be the only time that you hear from Scripture. But rather, we need to be, as it will literally say in Matthew 3, we need to be hungry for the Word. We want to be diligently searching the Scriptures. We want to be reading things that we aren't comfortable reading. We don't want to just stick to our familiar passages. We want to be curious. We want to be thoughtful. We want to read it with others. We want to read it in our houses. And if we don't understand something, that's okay. But we want to be willing to ask questions. We want to seek to learn and grow. And God will be faithful to meet us in that pursuit of truth and knowledge. You see, the scriptures both in this story and in our lives, they give clarity and they dispel confusion. So the first place that the star leads us is the word. Second place the star guides us is true wisdom. So moving on, if you go to verse 11, we see that the Magi, when they come to the place where the child was, they give him treasures, and they are overjoyed. But the part that I find most interesting is when they worship him. 
Scriptures say that they literally fell down. They bowed down and they worshiped him. I want you to think about that picture for a second. Here are a group of wise men, pagan astrologers, who their life's end is the pursuit of knowledge, philosophy, of wisdom. And they see this star in the sky and they follow it. And where does it lead them? Leads them to a little podunk town in the middle of nowhere, to a house with a poor family in it, and to a two-year-old who has absolutely nothing special about him. No rabbinic connections, no royal entourage. It leads them to Jesus who is wholly average. So imagine this picture. The men who are representative of the great wisdom of the world, they are literally bowing. They are getting low and they are honoring a Messiah who is the most unimpressive. And what's happening here is that the star is revealing something about what true wisdom is. It's revealing a great reversal. If you go to 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 20 through 25, uh, it reads like this. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And skipping down to verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And isn't this what we see in Matthew chapter 2, seen in this act? The great wisdom of the world is bowed low to the wisdom of God, who is a humble, vulnerable baby through whom God will save the world. Friends, that makes no sense in any human category whatsoever. Nothing about this child is worth any attention. And yet, not only do the wise men bow down, but how does it describe their response when they find him? They are overjoyed. See, friends, this is the wisdom that the star guides us to. Because when we think about wisdom, friends, we're not talking about just simply knowledge. One of my favorite illustrations that Dave Dorsey used this summer was when he talked about tomato. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put that tomato in a fruit salad, right? So knowledge is this correct understanding of the facts, but wisdom is knowing how to react correctly in light of those facts. So compare the knowledge of this the two major players in this chapter, the, the Magi and Herod. See, both the Magi and King Herod and the religious leaders, they all know that there is a king of the Jews who might have been born. Both are going to diligently seek the child. However, the Magi, they come in selfless worship because to know the Messiah is alive means that they need to come and worship. Whereas Herod, knowing the Messiah might be alive, means that he's going to respond by trying to do everything in his power to maintain control. See, the Magi are going to selflessly give of gold and frankincense and myrrh, while Herod, and we didn't read this, but Herod is going to take the life of innocent children in order to make sure that the king of the Jews never challenges for his throne. So knowledge is one thing, but wisdom is quite a different animal. See, true wisdom the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God, it leads to self-denial. It leads to humility. 
it leads to making yourself less so that another might be greater. See, it isn't just knowing the right answers. It isn't just knowing what the scripture says, but it's actually bowing and surrendering because of what you know to be true. It's not just being a hearer of the word, as James says, but a doer of the word. See, this is the path of Jesus. And as all of us, all of us who desire wisdom, it's our path as well. The Magi brought themselves low before Jesus. Astrologers who claim to have insight into how the world works from the stars, they are bowed low to a child who is in complete obscurity. Andrew Murray, uh, old pastor, says, might say it the best. He says, humility is the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Humility is the disappearance in self, of self in the vision that God is all. See, the star leads us to the one who came in humility. And then he beckons us to do likewise. So the star leads us to the word. Star leads us to true wisdom. And finally, the star guides us to the great invitation. And so if you look at this passage as a whole, this is actually one of those groundbreaking texts in all of scripture. Uh, and in that Isaiah passage that Tim opened this morning with, uh, we see this prophecy that the nations would come and worship. And the, the picture is that a light is dawning over a dark world and the Lord's glory is finally shown. And what we see here in this story, when the wise men come to the manger, is this beginning of a fulfillment of Isaiah 60. Magi from the nations are coming and they are worshiping the Messiah. The star is beginning to lead the nations to the one who will bring life. The true, bright, and morning star, as it says in Revelation, Jesus himself. But that makes the contrast really clear. When you start looking at the response of the teachers of the law and of Jerusalem in verse 3, it says that not only King Herod is troubled, and we would understand why King Herod would be troubled, but it says all of Jerusalem was troubled. All of Jerusalem, the ones who had been given the scriptures, the word of God, the ones who tell the story year in and year out about how they were ransomed and redeemed from slavery in Egypt, they were the ones who were waiting for the Messiah to come, and they're the ones who are troubled. So it's striking that the first people to come and worship the Messiah first are poor, outcast shepherds who in that day and age wouldn't have been able to sniff the presence of God in the temple. They wouldn't have been allowed outside the, or inside the outer courts of the temple. And then second, it's magi from the nations. See, neither of those groups had the least bit claim to the Messiah. And yet when the star rose, they saw an invitation. The light shines and the magi come, whereas the religious and the teachers of the law they completely miss the invitation. And so friends, if you hear nothing else that I've said this morning, I want you to hear this. Sometimes the closer we are, sometimes the more familiar we are, the more likely, more likely we are to miss the invitation of Christmas. And that's to come and worship. Come and be in awe. 
come and see this child who's been born, Christ the Lord. Come and wait for his return and the renewal of all things. And we become so familiar with this story that we miss the scandalous nature of it all. That shepherds should have never been the first ones and who heard the angels sing. That magi shouldn't have beat the Israelites to the manger. This is scandalous. This is outrageous. And yet, friends, a light has dawned. And the invitation has come. The Lord has been made flesh and has made his dwelling among us. And day by day, the nations are coming near and they are experiencing the life and the restoration and the joy that only Christ can bring. See, because Jesus is here, people are experiencing true hope in the midst of tragedy, not just the faint denial of suffering and putting on a smiling face. People are actually experiencing peace in a world that is chaotic and anxious. People are knowing an unconditional love that is not based on their accomplishments, but solely on what Christ has done. See, friends, Jesus has come, and he invites you. See, the star was the Old Testament declaration that you were now to come and worship the Lord. And where did the star lead but the Messiah himself, Jesus, through whom we have access to God? And so don't let the familiarity of this story dull that invitation. Your sin made you completely unworthy. You were like the shepherds. You were like the wise men. You had no claim on God. But now you're invited. It's for us. And now we as the people of God are bid to come and worship. And he invites us to come and taste and see that he is good. As I close, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis articles is called Meditation in a Tool Shed. And he's describing this time that he walked into this tool shed and he saw a beam of light shining in. And he writes that you could look at this light in two ways. You could look at the light beam or you could look along the light beam. And looking at the light beam would mean that you're probably looking at it, you know, it's, it's wide, it's, you know, it's kind of a yellowish light, you know, there's dust kind of suspended in it. You're kind of describing what it looks like. But then he says you could also look along it. You could stand in the light and look out, and what you can see is the world that is starting to be illuminated on the outside from where the light came. And friends, I think that that is the challenge for us in this Advent season. See, we can look at these wonders. We can look at the star and we can identify them. We can remember the facts about them. Remember that the wise men followed the star to the manger for next year when we tell the Christmas story again. Or we can look along them to the glorious truths underneath, the places that God seeks to guide us as his people, the foundation of the word, true wisdom, and an invitation that calls us to experience the fullness of life in Christ. So the star is a wonder. It's a miracle that guided the magi to the throne of a king. But when we look along the star, we see God's desire for us to come to the wonder of the manger and life with him forevermore. So don't hold this wonder at arm's length, but come and follow and see for yourself this king whose star is risen. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us to flounder on our own, but as this star guided the Magi, so you guide us. So Lord, I pray that we would look along the star and we would see true wisdom and humility. We would see 
the foundation of the word by which you guide us, and ultimately we would see an invitation, an invitation to life and joy and peace that you have come and you have come for us. So Lord, we are grateful and we're thankful this morning.